So timestamp for this recording is episode 3.2 for Fruitner Program 2022 uh, about sleep. January 22nd, 2022, 6.15 Swedish time, <laughs> I think yeah. 12.15. Montreal time. <laughs> So hello, all beautiful Fertners, and warmly welcome to the episode 3.2 of Sleep. My name is Malin, and I'm located in Sweden. Apart from being a Fertner, I'm also a yoga teacher, movement coach, and I'm also working within finance normally. This is Archie. I'm a kinesiologist working in and around Montreal, born and bred, um, and I'm a Fertner. That's it. That's it. So uh, in order to introduce you to the sleep topic, uh, let's talk a little bit in general about sleep and things maybe not everyone know about sleep. In fact, uh, lack of sleep is actually deadlier in traffic than alcohol. Maybe not everyone knows this. And it's also a fact that WHO and even in some, some countries, at least here in Europe, they consider night shift working to be carcinogenic. So sleep is a really important topic for your health, of course. And despite that, there's still at least so in the, in the corporate area where I come from and, and especially finance, I think there's still sometimes kind of a status of not or high status of working hard and not sleeping so much. People tend to say that, yeah, I'm so busy that I don't sleep that much. But in fact, maybe you're so busy because you don't sleep because then you're not so efficient, which we'll talk about later on. So I think that's that's maybe a good introduction to the topic. But also worth mentioning is the connection to all the other five or four other pillars of health. So for instance, if we take movement as a start, if you don't sleep well, then you don't have enough energy to move. Uh, but on the other hand, also, if you move a lot during the day, you will sleep better. So for most pillars, it works both ways. Sleep affects the pillar both in a positive and negative way, and the, the other pillar also affects it both ways going over to the mind for instance is um if you're in a good state of mind when you when you go to sleep you probably sleep better but uh, also the sleep makes you makes your mind clearer because it actually cleanses the brain which we we'll talk about later also more in depth in the episode uh if you sleep good you will also be able to make healthier food choices normally but on the other hand food will also affect how you sleep and and when you intake your food and so on will also have an impact on on the quality of your sleep and last but not least uh, community uh, the people you surround yourself with of course they they affect your sleeping habits for instance if you have a partner or someone that doesn't have the same rhythm as you it can highly affect your sleep both in good and bad ways of course Uh, so that's just a brief introduction to the topic of sleep. Uh, we'll continue on to talking about why we actually need sleep. Argy, 
So yeah, we're going to start off with a little bit of a primer on sleep. And I like to start almost everything with a quote. Um, I took a quote from the book, Why We Sleep, which I thought was a beautiful quote. And it's, I changed it just a little bit to not need too much context. So in Why We Sleep, right at the beginning, Matthew Walker says, sleep is like repeatedly and routinely lapsing into a state of apparent coma. It might even resemble death at times. And while the body lies still, the mind will often be filled with stunning and bizarre hallucinations. This state will consume one third of your lifetime. Good luck. So I really enjoyed that quote. <laughs> and I, I like to repeat it every time I teach a lesson on sleep because I, I, I find it kind of funny. Um, and I, enjoy, I just enjoy it, you know. So when we're talking about the functions of sleep, so why do we sleep? There's a few agreed upon functions of sleep, one being physical restoration. So the idea that muscle and bone is repaired and regrown uh, over over sleep. And we have other tissues as well that are are benefiting from this uh, from this function. And essentially, we're rejuvenating the body every night. Then we also have the cleansing of brain, the, the, uh, the cleansing of the brain. From toxins, like you mentioned, and I find this to be so fascinating because you were literally changing the structure, the cellular structure of the brain every night to create space. So we're diminishing our brain cells by about sixty percent, so that there's space for the cerebral spinal fluid to come in and literally rinse away the debris, rinse away all the byproducts of all the um, of all the thinking and learning that us foot nerds do. <laughs> so we're literally replenishing that part of the brain every night. Another aspect is information processing and memorization. So especially during this program, there's going to be a lot of new things maybe that we're all going to be picking up on and we're going to need to consolidate that information. So good night of a good night of sleep, especially after a study session, will allow that information to be sort of transferred into long term memory more efficiently. Right. And there's, there was actually a little interesting study I read about this where they, they took, a, I think, a few people learning, trying to learn how to play a musical instrument. And those who practice right before bedtime and then got a good night's sleep were able to wake up the next morning and have a 20 percent increase in performance speed of that piece that they were trying to learn, which is pretty, pretty impressive for one night of good sleep. We also have the strengthening of the immune system and mood regulation, which I think most of us understand if we haven't had a good night's sleep, we're probably not as nice the next day, right? Um, so I'm going to go through uh, a few of the benefits of sleep. I, I think most of us as foot nerds, I think most of us are on board about how important sleep is, but I'm going to just call them out a little bit like, uh, a little bit like, um, like the end of a pharmaceutical commercial where all the side effects are sort of bang, 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 bang. I'll do this for sleep where all these side effects are actually positive. Uh, but I think most of us are on board that we, we're, we're on board with how good sleep is for us, right? There's nothing we can do with our body, our brain, nothing that cannot be made better with a good night of sleep, okay? So basically a good night of sleep, sleep in general, quality of sleep will extend your lifespan, will boost creativity, strengthen immunity, reduce risk of depression, promote your mental well-being, improve your memory, sharpen your focus, reduce your stress, enhance cellular repair, improve physical performance, aid in weight loss, increase alertness, appearance, reduce cravings, lower your risk of dementia, cancer, heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, ward off colds and flus. And finally, it'll have you, it'll have you feeling happier. Now in this day and age, as we know, where we're a little, we're all a little um, surrounded by information about a certain virus. So it's interesting to know that a good night of sleep that they did a study where they literally injected people with a virus inside their nasal cavity. And those who had slept more than six hours were half as likely to catch whatever that virus was compared to those who had slept less than six hours. So when a virus is directly injected into you, a good night of sleep will help you, you know, will help your, your immune system work and fight it off. 
Now, if we're talking about sleep, a primer on sleep would be, as a general rule, most sleep experts say that most adults will need between seven to nine hours of sleep, right? So that's most adults, uh, you know, starting at age about 20 to about 60, let's say. Most, most people in that age range, we're looking at seven to nine hours as a general rule, right? So if you're trying to get seven to nine hours, a good, a good idea would be to have a sleep opportunity that's a little longer than that. So if you're really aiming to get seven hours of sleep, well, make sure that you're in bed for at least seven hours, if not a little longer to allow for the latency, the, the time it's going to take you to actually fall asleep, you know, so that you actually get your full seven hours, if that's what you're looking for, if that's what you believe is ideal, and that's when you feel the best. And we're going to sort of work on how to see how much time you might need based on a few experiments we're going to try later and a little bit of tracking we're going to be doing later. Um, then there's something called money time. At least that's what Sean Stevenson calls it money time, which is again, as a general rule for the vast majority of people being asleep between 10 PM and 2 AM is probably some of the most beneficial time to be, you know, under that state of sleep because of the hormonal secretions and the recovery that takes place during that money time as is, as is quoted. Another thing is that every sleep cycle is about 90 minutes. Okay. So your sleep cycles last about 90 minutes. And you're going through at least four stages. Some people will say five stages. It doesn't matter. It takes about 90 minutes to get through the stage of sleep where you're sort of cycling through the most important parts of um, what sleep does. And most people will require, again, a certain amount of sleep cycles, maybe maybe four, maybe five, maybe six, depending on who you are and, and how well you do on this, uh, this amount of sleep. And a, a, an interesting thing to consider is that let's say on one occasion or two, maybe you didn't optimize your sleep, so you got you got a few cycles less than you normally would. An interesting concept is this concept of biphasic sleep, where if you only got three cycles overnight and you're like, ah, I'm not going to feel, I'm not going to work, I'm not going to perform well, I'm not going to feel my best. You could add a cycle during the day, which is where the concept of napping comes in, right? So, and I I was listening to um, like a sports doctor, a sports sleep doctor talk about how how some of his athletes require these multiple phases of sleep. So they'd have an overnight sleep cycle or an overnight sleep phase where they try to get most of their sleep cycles in, but then they might add one or two during the day with naps to, to sort of compensate for what they might have been lacking overnight should it occur. Okay. So the concept of napping, the idea would be that in the middle of the day, maybe not too close to your sleep, you sort of doze off and you get a little bit more sleep, a little bit more rest. If you, if you missed out overnight and I'm not sure how people feel about the concept of napping. Some people don't like that idea at all, especially when you could be productive during the day. Mm-hmm. But napping has some really interesting research to back up how good it is for you, funny enough. Uh, and it, it is something that's culturally been around in many different countries for, for millennia, right? People, I remember when I used to visit my grandparents in Greece, like schools would literally close down in the middle of the day. Kids would go home to take a nap and then go back and then cl- stores would be closed and people would sort of get a second wind a little later in the afternoon. So it was, it was a lot of fun actually during my vacations in Greece. Um, so uh, napping has a lot of this, not a lot, has similar benefits to sleep. Some, some of them, it's like improving your mood memory, obviously restoring your energy. Cause you're obviously napping. You might've needed a bit of a, a boost there and increases your alertness. It also has an interesting effect on reducing your coronary heart disease. And the, the latest research I saw was a 37% decrease in your likelihood of, of heart disease. If you nap regularly, that's, mm. that's a, pretty easy thing to do if we just allowed it to happen to reduce our reduce our chance of heart disease you know now napping to just add to that maybe and i think um because it's it's i think in research it's also been shown that napping is also or especially like after lunchtime it is something that's really part of our natural rhythm in case we would go back to our natural rhythm 
you would have a nap in that middle of the day. And, and as you said, it's done in many places in Europe. And, and also, I mean, that could explain why, like, for instance, if you're at work, you feel a little bit dizzy or dozy after lunch. So it's not something that necessarily means that you're too tired. It's just your body being adapted to doing that. Yeah. Well, the natural rhythms of the body. So interesting, eh? We're going to talk about that a lot, but it's so true. We have these natural rhythms. And I mean, women, we understand rhythms, right? But men as well. We all have the same rhythm, but women actually have, you know, that that lunar rhythm as well. You know, we have the, the solar rhythm. We're going to talk about that today a lot because of the sleep-wake cycle. But women also, we have other rhythms, you know? Um, so I, I, a good idea for a nap, if you're going to try to implement that into your day, you're looking at either a short nap, somewhere between 10 to 30 minutes, because then you would be waking up at a sleep stage that would allow you to wake up and feel alert and rested. And then if not, if you're going to skip that and go all the way to 90 minutes would be a good idea because anywhere between 30 and 90, you might be getting up in a deeper stage of sleep, which would have you feeling a little groggy, foggy, maybe disoriented. So, you know, a 10 to 30 minute nap, like a power nap, or maybe you take a full cycle and sleep through a full, um, those full four or five stages of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a, there's like a little biohack where you can drink a cup of coffee right before you fall asleep. So when you actually do wake up 20 minutes later, you feel really, really ready, ready to go. You know, it's a little, little biohacking. Um, and obviously you don't want to sleep too late in the day because you don't want it to affect, uh, your actual sleep onset. You know, you don't want to be like, well, I'm sleeping around, I'm going to take a nap around 8 PM. Well, that might affect what act when actually, when it, um, that might actually affect when you actually need to get to bed for a full night, full night of sleep. Now, when we're talking about people and their differences, okay, so there's something called chronotypes where uh, most people will define, uh, will describe them as morning larks. Some people are morning larks, some people are night owls. Uh, the more current sort of talk about this topic has switched to mammals, but I'm going to stick with morning larks and night owls, birds. Uh, so morning larks are people who feel more alert and productive in the early hours of the day, usually right after they wake up. And night owls are those who are in the reverse, feel more productive and alert late in the evening and tend to stay up a little later. So what, what, the, what, um, what factors sort of have this be a fact for some people? Uh, things like genetics, sex, age, and sometimes even in what kind of environment we live in. Like what's the dark light cycle? Are we living in polar areas? Are we exposed to constant daylight, constant light? So these things are all things that play into our chronotypes. When we're talking about genetics, they've actually found that people who are larks or owls will have certain genes, predominantly certain genes in certain areas that tell you, okay, this person is more of a morning lark or a night owl. Sex, sex, you'll have men in general be a little um, later sleepers, usually up until menopause, where the changes between the sexes disappear, but men tend to be a little later in their, uh, in their, um, in their chronotype than women. And age, age, obviously, teenagers will tend to do better with more sleep. So something like eight to 10 hours of sleep compared to adults, which is seven to nine hours. Newborns, for instance, can sleep up to 18 hours and do super well and need that kind of uh, sleep. And then seniors can do very well with seven to eight hours. Um, although the, although there is a way to mitigate sort of the diminishing sleep in the, in the older ages. Uh, and also seniors tend to have lighter stages of sleep more predominantly than uh, deeper stages, or they find it harder to go into deeper stages. So that's a bit of information on chronotypes. And uh, I think that's, that's it for now. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to circadian rhythm a little later. Yeah, sure. I mean, there, there's so much to, to talk about on this topic. So I think we'll just, uh, that, that's a good overview of um, why we actually need the sleep. And then, 
looking at the research on sleep is really important or really interesting to to see why we sleep at all because there's been a lot of studies done um on on animals as well to see mm. Uh, how they sleep and how much they sleep and if there are animals that actually don't sleep but so far they haven't found any animal that doesn't sleep at all the only one that could be is a newborn killer whale which in the in the first week of their life they haven't found proof of it sleeping because the the mother goes away to have the the newborn and then on the swim the long swim back to the to the tribes um, more or less uh it would be killed if it would fall asleep but that's only a couple of weeks and then of course it it sleeps even more after that but they haven't been able to study it so much so they don't really know if it's sleeping or not but that's the only one that maybe doesn't sleep so it really shows that sleep is so important for us and and what's that Sorry, what's the animal that uh, sleeps with half the brain? Is it the dolphin? Where half dolphin, the brain is? I think, yeah, yeah. There, and then the other half is really like, fascinating too. <laughs> you're extra productive. Yeah, and and I mean, you can also look at it like from a evolutionary perspective. That's, I mean, if sleep wasn't important for us, would it would have stopped it long time ago? Because yeah. when you're asleep, you're you're more or less unconscious, and it's so easy for someone to come and kill you. Right, exactly. <laughs> out on the, yeah, there was an important thing to gone. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually also, I mean, one of the reasons why um, the record uh, or trying to do records of who can stay awake longest before, uh, yeah, without sleep uh, has been removed from the Guinness Book of Records because it actually means that people die. Yeah. So uh, it's it's unethical to have that record part of the book. So they removed it. A good idea, I think. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine those people by the end of like, you know, seven hours are hallucinating, tripping uh, over the half function? Yeah. Oh, yeah. so that that gives a little bit of perspective as well and brings us maybe into the topic of of how you would notice that you don't have enough sleep because the fact is that at least i saw a study here in sweden that 40 percent of the uh, adult population is actually sleep deprived 11 percent oh. is chronically sleep deprived so there's a lot of people that don't sleep as they should and maybe you don't know this also because you're so used to it that mm-hmm. you don't really recognize all the signs of the fact that you actually don't have enough sleep or how you could feel if you would have slept good enough or long enough. Because there's also that difference that maybe you sleep for eight hours, but the quality of your sleep is so poor that you don't feel rested anyway when you wake up. So, so I thought we could just uh, go through um, it's basically four categories of signs um, of not having enough sleep. First one is, is physical. Of course, the obvious one that after a really poor night's sleep, you probably don't have the energy to do as much things as you would have if you'd slept really well. Um, it's also been found that your resting heart rate increases if you don't sleep as much as you should. Uh, and in general, you're more, more prone to, to injuries, not only physically, because your body is not as fit as it could have been with a good night's sleep, but also because of the mental factors that maybe your uh, attention span is not as good as it could have been. So you're 
uh, more prone to catch injuries if you're doing sports, for instance. And that's also been seen. And I think nowadays it's really high awareness among athletes that sleep is really important for their performance as well. Uh, second one is, of course, mental. As, as you mentioned already, RD, uh, there's a lot of things that are in our brain that are affected if we don't sleep as we should. Some of them are maybe not so easy to notice in the beginning, but it's really good to be aware of them, to yeah, ha have a better awareness of uh, when, the, when the sleep maybe starts to be a little bit worse. Decision-making, problem-solving, and uh, being able to do uh, rational yeah rationalizations because uh, what really happens in the brain is that if you don't sleep as much the prefrontal cortex where your logic and reasoning sits it kind of shuts down so you're more driven by emotions and fear uh, which is maybe not the best thing to do and I think maybe that's something that we've seen also in this uh, last two years now that that happens to a lot of people and and yeah maybe a good night's sleep will solve a lot of things I don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh I wish it was that simple <laughs> at least it would help I think but anyway uh, you get less efficient in performing tasks in general especially all the tasks that requires your brain to function properly if you don't sleep as much as you should Uh, and also when it comes to violent behavior, it's been seen that if you don't sleep as much as you should, um, you're more tending to be aggressive or violent than you would be if you've slept well. And decisions in general are, are really worse if you don't sleep well. Another one category, which uh, Matthew Walker also talks a lot about, or he, I think he introduces his TED Talk a little bit on that subject is that you actually get less attractive if you don't sleep. <laughs> There's this study actually from Sweden in, in Uppsala in Sweden, where they, they showed pictures of people to other people without them knowing how much they had slept the night before. And they had to indicate, okay, which one of them was looking more attractive or refreshed. Uh, and it was really consistent that the ones that have been sleeping for eight hours quality sleep, they were found to be much more attractive than the ones that had only four to six hours sleep. Uh, and also in terms of hormones, that your reproductive health is actually worsened uh, if you don't sleep as much as you should. So that can maybe be an explanation for increasing, uh, what's the English word, um, difficulty having kids. Mm -hmm. uh, reproductive success yeah exactly okay. and uh, as you mentioned also the fourth category maybe also one of the most important ones is the uh, uh, effect on the immune system and if you find yourself repeatedly catching infections and taking a long time recovering from colds or something like that then then it might be good to increase Uh, the amount of sleep for a while or maybe trying to improve the, the quality of your sleep as well because that's that's really something that also is working heavily during sleep to boost the immune system and for me personally as well it's been one of the big things that I'm really nowadays trying to work with because um, it's been shown that after only one night with four hours sleep 
the natural killer cells of your immune system decreases with 70% or the activity, I think. Um, and that's the natural killer cells are, are for, for one thing, um, the part of your immune system that early beats cancer cells, for instance. So it, it's also some, some doctors say that all cancer patients, they know to a certain extent what is causing their disease. I am a cancer patient or I was a cancer patient seven years ago. And when I heard that, the first thing I thought about was sleep. Because I think three or four years before I got my diagnosis, I had been one of those people that had been sleeping maybe four to five hours per night because I had a little one that was not sleeping during the nights and also for other reasons, of course. So I think I do think that that was a big contribution to to the disease, of course, not only, but I think it has had a major effect on that. So it's um, really something that's is important for the immune system. There's a lot of things going on in the brain also that you mentioned, uh, cleaning out all the toxins and, and the chemicals and refreshing the brain and the whole body during the, the night of sleep. Yeah. yeah I so think it's also been, a, that, that part has also been associated or they're, they're finding links between the cleansing of the brain and diminished rates of uh, Alzheimer's and dementia in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot to think about with, mm-hmm. with sleep. So do you want to talk a little bit about more um, circadian rhythm yeah. and how that's... Really I do. Fun? I do want to talk about that. I love yeah. this topic. Uh, this is like my new favorite thing to, to, to read about, actually. Circadian rhythm, so fascinating. I, I don't know if you're going to find it as fascinating as I do, but I, I, I'm so obsessed with it right now. It's, so the circadian rhythm. So just to go into the etymology, circadian, right? So circa, approximately or about, around, and dian diem dias day so approximately a day so the circadian rhythm is approximately a cycle of 24 hours approximately that's really important it's not exactly 24 hours so we need to be resetting it every single day so that it is in tune and coherent with the solar day uh, and we need to be basically resetting it at, 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 upon our first experience of daylight so right when we first experience daylight that triggers that's the oop, that's the cue sorry I'm standing okay. That's the cue to basically tell our day, tell, tell our system, okay, here we go. Here's a day, new day. Let's all synchronize together. Let's all be on the same page here to have a really, really good day, a really optimal day. So the circadian system is this, like I said, the system, it's not 24 hours. We're trying to reset it so that it's in tune and it regulates things like when's the ideal time to process food? When's the ideal time to prepare for sleep? How can I regulate certain biological processes like metabolism? Um, blood pressure, core body temperature, hormone, hormone production. So it's basically sending out these signals to get all these other parts of the body to work together on the same team towards the same goal. Okay. So essentially you're trying to keep the organism in sync with the external world by having your circadian rhythm on point, let's say. Okay. So the funny thing is that we're not trying to sync up one clock. We're, we're trying to sync up a lot of clocks. So we have internal clocks that we're trying to sync up with certain external clocks, which are also affecting us. So the main clock when we talk about the circadian rhythm is the master clock or the biological clock. 
which is also known as the central pacemaker. So the central pacemaker is located in our brain in the hypothalamus uh, in an area called the SCN, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. I will only say that once. Uh, and basically, this area, of the, this area of the brain will establish and maintain the circadian rhythm by sending out these little neural signals all, the, all around the body, regulating core temperature and influencing the secretion of certain hormones so that the rest of the body knows what time it is. So that the rest of the body knows what to do at what time. Okay. So that's the master clock. So the main, the main conductor of this orchestra. And then we have the molecular clocks, or also known as the peripheral clocks, which are essentially as of right now, according to research, as of right now, they're everywhere. They're in every cell of every cell that has a nucleus, essentially, in every organ system, also optimizing the timing of certain processes in those relevant tissues. So things like digestion, immune and cognitive function, all are being optimized by these little clocks everywhere all in all our body essentially we're one big clock the whole body now it, this these molecular clocks are not exposed to light so because they're not exposed to light they need they need that signal from the master clock to sort of know what's going on right so when the master clock is getting that proper signal the rest of them as well are getting that proper signal now these other molecular clocks also have other sort of cues and triggers uh, mainly food activity level and temperature so they're they're being sort of cued and triggered by other things but also the master clock is also the main conductor sending in that signal as well and now we're trying to sort of coordinate all this biology all these clocks with our three external clocks so the solar clock being the dark light cycle and the earth's rotation around its axis we're trying to coordinate with that which is about 24 hours we're also trying to coordinate with our social clock which is the, the time constraints imposed on us by work friends, partying, um, who knows, daylight savings time, all sorts of things. And then obviously the biological clock. So that's the biological clock trying to sync up with all these other three clocks. So we're running at an optimal level, running as efficiently as possible. So when things are syncing up and we're, we're, we're essentially ensuring the timing of all these metabolic processes between the organs and everything is aligned and we have a coherent signal, there are certain times of day when certain things are optimal. Okay, so I'm going to give a few examples. Like for most people, optimal alertness will happen around 10 a.m. As a general rule, right? It's, there's always exceptions. Uh, digestion peaks around noon. So things like the way you're going to, um, like your blood glucose will not spike the same way in the middle of the day as it would later in the day. The way you metabolize food, the way you store fat, like store energy as fat or not, will be different in the middle of the day than it is at the end of the day which I will come upon a little later because I think this is very, very interesting. Uh, there's also coordination and reaction time. Those peak around 2.30, 3.30 in the afternoon. And then finally, cardiovascular efficiency and muscular strength. Those things will peak somewhere in the late afternoon, early evening, 5 or 6 p.m. Okay, so it's, that's, that's, it's interesting to know that if you're trying to maximize for certain, uh, for certain factors, you know. Now, how does the master clock sort of work? How does it do this? How does it help the other clocks be in tune with the, each other? So there's the main cue, the main time giver is light. So basically light is detected by the photoreceptors in our eyes, which then relay the information to the master clock, which then in turn relays that information via the nerves to the pineal gland, where in that location, the synthesis of melatonin will or, not, will or will not happen depending on the light information we receive. So if the light information we're receiving says light, light, light detective, light detected, there's still sunlight out, well, melatonin will not be synthesized. And then some other processes might take place in the body, like cortisol or um, serotonin might be released, which will make you a little more alert 
and maybe ready you for the day. If that's these in the signal that, that your brain is getting, that it's daytime, it's time to be active and around uh, and about. If it's, if it's darkness, then melatonin will be released from the pineal gland and it'll start to circulate in your blood like a little, um, I don't know, like a little messenger. It'll go around, uh, go around all your little organs where they have melatonin receptors and it'll relay the information about the time of day to all the other sort of cells in, your, uh, cells in the clocks of the periphery. Okay. So that's how light works to sort of cue, cue everybody on, uh, on what time of day it is. If we don't have this synchronization and there's asynchrony, it, it usually essentially happens because we're lacking sufficient daytime light or we're ex- excessively exposing ourselves to artificial nighttime light. And this sort of desynchronizes our clocks okay, between our clock and the solar clock. And what happens if that happens? Obviously, our sleep, our sleep quality is affected. We're no longer sleep, sleeping optimally because the hormones are supposed to be there to help us get the maximal benefit are not, are not where they need to be. They're not on the starting lines of where they need to be for this, uh, for the event. So when we're talking about light exposure, for ancestrally, ancestrally, we never had to worry about this. There wasn't an option, right? We had the sun. And we had it whenever the sun wanted to be there. When, when it set, that was it. We had no more access to light. So ancestrally, pre the, inve- pre the invention of the light bulb, we had access to light only when the sun wanted. Okay. So basically, we had to live our life according to the cycle. We have to hunt and gather only when there was light out because we're, we're not nocturnal animals, right? And we would pray at night. So we'd have to go out into the day and have our physical activity, have our food and have um, all that activity during the day. And then we reserve the night, essentially after sunset, we'd reserve it for resting and sleeping. That's what it was like ancestrally. We never had to worry about this. But now we're living in a 24-7 world, which means everything can be out of whack. I can be, I can be under full spectrum, bright lights, even as I fall asleep, even as I sleep, I can be exposed to that. I can eat food without any expenditure of energy because I can, you know, pick up the phone and call and I got food without expending any energy, which also helps me sleep. And I can also be eating at any time of the night because it's not dangerous anymore. I'm not going out to hunt or, or gather it. So right now it's, it's, um, it takes a lot more effort to be aligned with these clocks and to optimize our health. And something that's very interesting, they had an experiment where they took a, a few people, um, a few city dwellers, and they had them go camping. And they give them access to no artificial lights, so no flashlights, no phones, no tablets, nothing like that. They only had the sun, the moon, the stars, and fire. That's essentially it. And what they noticed is even though the range of their sleep times were very, very varied, with this sort of cycle of the sun, most of them would come back sort of to the middle into the mean. So even though late sleepers, early sleepers, they'd all sort of hover back towards the middle where they were all sort of sleeping with sunset and all sort of waking with sunrise. And it, it, it was not just a habit. It was also their actual melatonin secretion sort of synced up with the, on the, um, the sunset. So we all sort of come back to a mean if we sort of dwell in the natural world exposed to just natural light. Mm. Now, light... Okay. Whenever, depending on the, uh, when you are, are actually exposed to light, it can have a very different effect on your body. So if you expose yourself to morning light, that will speed up your clock. And it's likely to make you to go, uh, make you go to bed a little earlier and wake up a little earlier. If you're exposed to some bright natural light early in the morning, which is also a trick. If you're, you're looking to become an earlier riser, then you're, you need to be looking to expose yourself to natural light as early as possible nice, bright outdoor light as, as fast as possible and as early as possible. And if you are looking to, 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 to speed up your clock, you'd also want to avoid 
those unnatural screens later in the evening, right? Because they're, they're going to delay your clock. So you want to basically have a, a screen curfew if that's what you're trying to do. And for the few people who are very early risers and they want to later their clock so that they wake up a little later and sleep a little later, well, you would want to do the reverse. If you're going to get up anyway at four in the morning and then light shines at around 5.36, wherever you are, you want to sort of hide from that natural light for the first few hours of the day. So maybe you want to put on some sunglasses, maybe you want to stay indoors. Um, and then obviously you can expose yourself to that artificial light a little later. You might even want to exercise a little later so that you're pushing off your sleep time, your sleep time with those other triggers. And uh, yeah, so I, should I go into the eating and the clock right now? Or, or, or do, do we have anything, do you want to add anything to that? The whole lighting and the, 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 the effect on the clock? It, it's such an interesting topic. Uh, and I think um, everything, because it's a lot of things to, to keep in mind, of course, and the ways to, to adapt and so on. And, and also like being in the part of the world where, where I am, and I think partly you too now, mm-hmm. <laughs> that it might be difficult to even get that uh, daylight early in the morning I was out at I think nine this morning with my kids and we saw the first rays of sun mm-hmm. coming against us I mean nine that's that's for us quite late in the morning with kids waking up at 5 30 usually wow. yeah <laughs> so it's uh yeah but it, it's really you can also see how it infects affects your mood uh, if you manage to get that early really conscious to to do that so also the seasonal variations of the light because opposite in the middle of the summer you can go out at 3 a.m in the morning and it's bright so that's that part is really i like that you mentioned that that so it might be good to consciously stay inside for a little bit longer or wear some sunglasses or something to to regulate a little bit more yeah in, in an ideal situation, if we had no sort of societal constraints, we would literally constantly be cycling our, our rhythm with the rhythm of the, the, the day, you know? Yeah. Just, we live in a world where we have, you know, work schedules, we have normal times for supper. We sort of have these things scheduled. And instead of respecting sort of the biology, we tend to go more with these societal constraints. Yeah, But, exactly. uh, you know, what to do, what to do. Yeah, yeah. and ideally, we should be resting more in, in the winter time, of course, and then to... Like the like nature does, that's preparing for the the growing and everything that happens in the summer. Yeah, I was actually about the winter. I was listening to Dan Party, I believe it was. He's a sleep scientist researcher, and he was talking about yeah. how what if I can remember correctly, something along the lines of how because winter it's cold and we tend to stay inside more, and we sort of go into hibernation like a bear. Well, when our body isn't exposed to that same natural daylight, it assumes it is winter and that the, that the food is less readily available. So it'll have us put on some weight, both as insulation and both as reserves for the winter famine. Yeah. So, yeah. so one way to, one way to not, you know, to sort of not give that cue to your fat cells is to mm-hmm. get outside as much as possible, get as much light and be as active as possible, even in the winter months. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating. Interesting. The body is like such a uh, yeah. cool little thing. It's so smart. Yeah. So if, uh, if we are going to talk about, let's say, eating in our clock, is, I mean, the master clock is regulating mainly your sleeping and your waking cycle. Okay, So that's, that's what this lesson is about. But it, it's, um, it's, it's worth noting that the other clocks, when they're in sync, you're likely going to get a better night's sleep when all your clocks are in sync, like we mentioned. And those other clocks, 
you know, the food, sorry, food is a trigger for these other certain other organs, just like physical activity and temperature is a trigger for certain other peripheral clocks. So I'll just mention this a little uh, briefly, because this is not the topic, you know, food or exercise, but it's important in respect to sleep as well. So food seems to be the main time key for certain organs. And basically, when we, we wake up in the morning, it's, you know, around the beginning of the days when cortisol, cortisol levels are highest, right? And the cortisol is usually the get up and go hormone. It's the, like readiness for action hormone. And ancestrally, the idea with that, the idea was that the idea with that was you would get up in the morning and this is it. You're getting up, going, looking for food. So there was physical activity. So cortisol was, was preparing you for the physical activity of going out and, you know, assuring your survival, which would also make sense why the best time to be eating is during the day, because you have the cortisol levels up, which have readied you for the physical activity, which mm-hmm. then you have the reward of food, which is also when your biology is most adapted to eating during the day when you're expected to have that acquiring of food through the physical activity. Now, because your body is ready for food in the middle of the day, it means things like you have more appropriate energy storage from the food. You have a new, higher nutrient uptake. Your digestion is peaking around midday. Mm-hmm. It's about twice the speed. Uh, and also something that's very interesting, your gut microbiome is different in the middle of the day than it is at night. There's like a changing of the guards going into the night. So yeah. your gut microbiome that's in the middle of the day is likely to benefit more from the food that you're going to ingest. But also if you're exposed to pathogens through the food or through the physical activity that was required to acquire the, that was required to acquire the food or from your interactions with other people, the, the pathogens, the pathogens that we are exposed to during the day, well, that's when our gut microbiome is most ready when the little good guys are there most ready to help us fight these things off. When there's the changing of the guard overnight, if you were to start exposing yourself to these things at night, you're not as readily able to fight off these past pathogens. So right. it's an interesting thing to consider when it comes to your immunity. You want to be sleeping at night and make sure that your, your good guys are ready to go in the middle of the day when you are exposing yourself to these possible um, mm-hmm. pathogens. So more calories are burned after a meal during the day, early in the day, than they are for the very same meal at night. So this is something that's really, really interesting. Because if, if some people are, losing, are, are looking to lose a bit of body fat, it might be interesting to consider the timing of your meals, not just the composition, but the actual timing. And they did a study, which I thought was really fascinating. They took a bunch of obese women and they put them into two groups. The first group ate half their calories at breakfast and the other group ate half their calories at dinner. And after 12 weeks on the equivalent number of calories, the first group that was eating half their calories at breakfast lost 11% of their body fat versus 4% of their body fat, even though both groups obviously lost weight, the difference was quite substantial. And their waist circumference, the ones who were eating most of their calories at breakfast, was 8% loss versus 3% loss, not to mention improvements in blood sugar and lipids. So that's, I'm, I'm sold on this. I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. So I've actually tried to shift, the, shift my, my, my main meal to the middle of the day as opposed mm-hmm. to supper, which means it's a little challenging sometimes because you want to be eating with the people around you. And the, the most convenient time usually is to have a supper together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, we're going to talk about exercise in your clock just quickly. Like we said, food is a, the main time cue for certain organs, physical activity and temperature is the main time cue for certain other organs. So it's a good idea to avoid strenuous exercise right before bed because it raises your blood, uh, your body temperature that makes it a little trickier for you to fall asleep when you're hotter, let's say, and it can interfere with certain, uh, certain hormones that you'd like to have when you're sleeping. So unless you were trying to delay your clock, 
In that case, strenuous activity might be a good idea. But if you're not trying to delay your clock and you want to get to bed at a good early time, you want to be working out mainly either in the morning, preferably outside to get some light as well, or uh, at that time, late afternoon, early evening, when certain functions are optimized, like cardiovascular efficiency and muscle strength. So either early morning with the light, maybe outside, or in the early evening, late afternoon, if you're trying to benefit from um, other things. And also that's early enough so that your body compensates when your body temperature goes up, it, it has enough time to lower before you get to bed. So exercise early to advance the clock or late to delay it. Main takeaway though, main takeaway, our bodies are primed for activity and eating during the day and resting and fasting at night. Main takeaway. Mm, yeah. And, and I think when it comes to exercise, it's also um, on the days that, especially for me that I've, I've, normally unfortunately sitting down a little bit too much during the day with my office job and so on but on the days especially on the weekends and also other days when you really moved a lot during the day made some, had some exercises and so on you can really feel the difference and saying okay I know I'm going to have a good night's sleep now because I've yeah. been moving around so much so I think it's really our bodies are made to do that and it's also something that positively affects uh the sleep in general, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we, we were, uh, you know, we were supposed to move to survive, right? Oh, we yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, uh, you know, I mean, evolutionarily, movement is, uh, is a pillar, right? Is a pillar of health. We have to earn our sleep, as you said. You got to earn your sleep. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and there is a lot of different ways that, um, that you can do that. So maybe that's a good bridge to, to our next section. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we've talked a lot about now about why we need to sleep and what, what can happen if we don't sleep. But um, if you want to change things, and actually that's that's the main experiments that we're going to present today, that um, you need to know what, what you could do and, and maybe the most accessible ways to, to impact your sleep if, if that's something that you feel that you need to do. Uh, but before going into that... Um, one thing that is really good to do, of course, is to evaluate the way, the way you sleep now. Because as we mentioned before, uh, a lot of people are sleep deprived, maybe without even knowing. So taking up your journal and writing down some things about your sleep, um, how it is right now before you start changing anything is really something that you probably will have find very useful going back to after you've changed some things perhaps so ask yourself some questions uh, about sleep do you have trouble sleeping at all how much do you sleep at night um how do you feel when you wake up and maybe what is what do you think is preventing you from sleeping optimally right now and just log it in in your journal um or maybe if you have a sleep tracking device, which I know that you have. Or do I'm you? wearing it right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, there, there are basically two ways that you can um, analyze your sleep. Um, one is, of course, the, let's say, the internal uh, um, cues that you get from your body and from your perception of your sleep. Like if you feel rested when you wake up and when was the time that you went to bed and when did you wake up? But then you also have these external uh, data that you can get from, for instance, an, an Oura ring and, and watches and so on. And it can be good to maybe balance those sometimes as well, if you have the opportunity to do it. But 
usually the, the feeling is also good enough for, for starters. So you, of course, you don't have to go out buy an, a tracking device if you don't already have it. I just add, if I, it would be, I, I, I can just speak personally when I, I feel like I've got enough. I'm like, wow, that was an awesome night of sleep. I feel great. And then I dock my Ura ring and it says like 79. I was like, oh no, oh no, no. That was at least a 95. Like, so I think it's important <laughs> to prioritize how you feel because, yeah. you yeah. know, it's, it's okay to be influenced by the data on the ring, but it's also good to know that if you feel great, maybe go with, go with the higher number, whether it's your perception or the ring, but try mm-hmm. to always go positive, try to go positive. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, the data is one thing, but it's, it's never a hundred percent. You should, that's what I found as well, that I had uh, my watch for sleep sometimes that, okay, it's not necessarily always saying the same thing that that I'm feeling and experiencing in my body. So it's yeah. uh, that that's for sure. Uh, so we, what we'll do now is that we'll also go through the, the five pillars of health and how you can use those or uh, aspects of those pillars to to find ways to experiment with your sleep and hopefully improving it. Uh, so let's start with the sleep pillar. All right. So we, this is obviously the lesson on sleep. So the sleep pillar has a few ex, you know extra experiments to attempt. So when you are sort of tracking tracking your sleep, see how you feel, asking yourself these questions. Um, just one thing to mention, I was listening to, a, I think it was Jeff Kahn from Rise Science, and he was saying when you are sort of checking in with yourself to see how you're feeling, I like to do it right when I get up. Before I do anything, my eyes open, I'm like, okay, already evaluating. But he said to wait about an hour and a half before you really, really judge. So it might be interesting to do both, maybe right when you wake up, how you feel, and then give it a bit of time and see how you feel right after uh, when you are tracking this. So a few experiments to try when you're talking about the sleep pillar. So one thing is to see if an earlier bedtime would do you good. Just, just, I mean, how, unless you already have a very early bedtime and you're earlier than the 10 PM money time, as they say, if you're already getting to bed earlier, maybe this is not the experiment to try, but if you are normally getting to bed at 12, let's say midnight, you can see how do you feel? Try it for maybe a week, try it for two weeks, try it for a few weeks. Cause if you're trying to get from 12 AM to a 10 PM sleep time, it might take you a few days to adjust something like a 15 minute increase per day might be plenty. Uh, but that might be one way to experiment. See what an earlier bedtime does for you while you're actually sleeping at that 10, a, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. sleep time. That's experiment one option. Another option is to get all your days regular. So work days and weekend days. And I know this is tricky, but we talked about how we're trying to essentially constantly, every single morning, we're trying to sync up the clock. So if you're syncing up the clock, syncing up the clock, syncing up the clock Monday through Friday, and then on Saturday, all of a sudden, you're there, there you are untuning your clock. So then during the weekend, you're untuning, untuning, and then you're constantly trying to retune on Monday. So it might be an interesting thing to see again for maybe a couple of weeks. Can you just keep a regular schedule so your clock has a constant sort of signal staying on a regular schedule and see how that does for you? One way that has helped me to do this is I have a bedtime alarm. I, I literally set a bedtime alarm and it beeps. And it tells me, okay, you got half an hour to get to bed. So half an hour to do my little bedtime routine, hygiene, all that stuff, journaling. And then I'm in bed so that my sleep opportunity is what I want it to be. Sleep opportunity in bed with everything else done, where I'm actually just nothing to do but sleep. Um, that's a second uh, experiment. A third experiment might be to see what your natural wake time is. So maybe you can go, if you have a week off from work, 
Try to get to bed at a certain time, but see if you were to just let yourself sleep in, how long would you sleep? So how many cycles of sleep feel best for you? And the thing is the first couple of nights, maybe four or five nights, it might just be you making up some sleep debt, right? Some of these like debt you haven't paid off, but after maybe four, five, six nights, you might start to see that, oh, I really do well with four cycles, or I really do well with six cycles, but you won't really know that unless you try not waking up with an alarm and just letting yourself naturally wake up and seeing how much time it took and how many cycles you went through. And you kept that up for a couple of days. Okay. So that's the third experiment. Fourth experiment is really playing around with your light exposure, really exposing yourself to as much natural daylight as possible. And this isn't just you know, 10 minutes in the morning, that's definitely good. 10 minutes before 10 is a nice heuristic, but, um, you know, 30 minutes throughout the whole day as a bare minimum, if not just as much as possible, as much as possible of that solar clock, because you're actually trying to stick up with it. So try to get out there as much as possible. Take your, your lunch breaks out there. Um, you know, go for walking meetings as much as possible. Get outside. Obviously, also artificial light. See what happens when you diminish the artificial light in your environment. Maybe you start dimming your apartment. Maybe you start changing the light bulbs to a warm light. Maybe for night, you have some red light bulbs. Maybe you put your apps with a filter so that you filter out the blue light after a certain time. Or maybe you buy those little fun, funky blue light blocking glasses so that you're wear, you wear them after sunset. So you're essentially constantly trying to imitate the light environment outside. You're trying to imitate the light environment outside, inside. That's what you're trying to do. That's experiment number four. Number five, can you limit your exposure to EMFs, especially when you sleep? So make sure your screens, your phones, your Wi-Fi, nowhere near you when you're sleeping. Electrical wiring, nowhere near you when you're sleeping, right? So if, you're, if you have a bunch of wires under your bed, maybe move them somewhere else. Maybe move your bed away from the wall. Uh, turn off your Wi-Fi at night. Maybe have a, a timer, an analog timer. Um, and make sure you don't have your phone under your, your pillow or at least within six feet of you, nowhere near you. These things should, you, you don't even know how much they'll affect until you try. And I will tell you just, I, the, the first night that I turned off my Wi-Fi, my router, the first night I dreamt so vividly. I thought I didn't even dream. I didn't even know I dreamt until I turned off my Wi-Fi router. And I was like, wow, 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 wow. It was pretty cool. And it happened for the first couple of nights after the, the Wi-Fi router was off. I, I don't know if that was a coincidence, but it was, uh, it was very, very obvious to me that the effect it had on me. And I don't have any other, ne- I don't have any other negative effects to Wi-Fi. It's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not burning, burning in hives. I'm not headaches. Although other people do some, some people are hypersensitive. So it's a nice thing to try and it costs nothing. A little timer, it turns off and you you have a better sleep environment to begin with. One, two, three, four, five, six. Number six is having a cool, dark, and quiet room. So your bedroom is made for sleep, right? So you keep it cool. Usually 15 to 20 degrees Celsius is uh, the sweet spot. Fahrenheit, it's 60 to 68. Uh, Keep it dark. So if there's anything in a room that's like uh, your alarm clock has light flashing at you, or you have other lights from other things, you can either remove them from your bedroom. So you're sleeping in as much darkness as possible, or you can cover them up either with some black tape, or uh, what I do is I have, um, I have a, a business card that's taped to the top of, of uh, let's say, the time. And I can see it during the day. And I just flip the card over and it hides the time during the night. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and then quiet, obviously. Oh, and, sorry, dark also curtains. So blackout curtains are one option, keeping it as dark as possible. Um, quiet, all right? And also the quality of the air in your bedroom. 
So maybe you buy a plant that filters the air, maybe you crack a window open overnight, but you want to keep the environment as conducive to sleep as possible. That's experiment number six. And if you want, experiment number seven is basically mattress, pillow, comfort, and all that stuff. Now, I know some of us like to sleep on the floor, but if, if, if you're one of these people who likes to sleep on a mattress or a pillow, uh, you just want to be sure that you're respecting the integrity of your spine. So you're not, you know, you don't have four pillows under your head where you're sort of like compressing your throat. You're not, the mattress is not so soft that your spine is all off. Try to just respect the integrity of your spine when you sleep and you want to be comfortable, comfortable more or less, let's say. So those are some experiments you can try with sleep. Uh, and you do obviously before and after for your tracking. Yeah, yeah. And one good way also to to cool down before going to bed, believe it or not, is to take a hot shower. Mm. That will actually facilitate the core body temperature to drop. And I think it's I read somewhere, I think also in Matthew Walker's book that uh, the core body temperature temperature needs to drop one degree Celsius in order for you to fall asleep. So taking a hot shower is something that will make the heat in your body evaporates when the blood vessels expand a little bit um, and make your core body temperature drop. So going into then the cool bedroom that you've created facilitates that even more. Um, and, and I want to add before we go on as well, that uh, as foot nerds, you know, I mean, you don't have to try all these experiments at once. We're just giving you examples from each pillar and then you can pick from each and every pillar perhaps and see which makes most sense for you from where you're at right now, play with it a little bit uh, and create a routine that, that works for you in your life where, where you're at at the moment. And maybe it will change over time as well, depending on what you're, there's always more that you can implement once you've set a habit and then you can move on to maybe more things if you feel that it's, it's making any sense for you. And, and, and also maybe not, I mean, what I found is that a daily routine is really good for me because then, yeah, it's, I can recognize that, okay, my brain recognizes it's starting to be time to go to bed and so on, uh, but also not to be too strict about it and not stress about it, especially. So like, for instance, if, okay, kids wake up during the night, I slept really bad that, okay, it's just what it is. And I'll work on my routine for, for the next day and maybe nap in the day if I have the opportunity to and so on, but not making the sleep habits to be a stress factor. Right. Wow. <laughs> and actually yeah. mentioning waking up in the middle of the night, it would be a good idea to avoid any bright lights. So if yeah. you do wake up, if yeah. you have some soft light, that can also help you fall back asleep. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's a good point too, that's uh, to try, especially with the kids too, because I noticed that they are also affected by that to try not to put the light on if, if, if not absolutely necessary. Right. Uh, so moving on to food. Uh, one of the main things here is uh, we mentioned it a little bit, uh, caffeine, um, maybe putting on a caffeine curfew, uh, depending on where you're at right now maybe it's just to reduce the, the number of uh, cups of coffee or other caffeinated drinks that you have during the day maybe it's to not drink coffee after lunch or maybe just have it in the morning or maybe you don't have it at all I mean it all depends where you're at uh, but the thing is that caffeine has a half-life of seven to twelve hours 
So if you're having a coffee in the night, uh, you will still have a lot of that in your system when you're trying to sleep and have a good night's sleep, which uh, since caffeine is a stimulant, might not be so good for, for the sleep. So uh, it also differs a lot from person to person how, how fast you metabolize caffeine. So it can differ. So you have to do your own experiment, of course, to find out what works for you and how it impacts your sleep. I mean, I, I used to drink maybe three cups of coffee a day and I thought that it didn't really impact my sleep. Now I usually drink sometimes once per week a cup of coffee and sometimes maybe even once per month. And when I do, I notice that, wow, it, it does have a huge impact um, on my sleep. Because now I feel the difference. So wow. it's, uh, One it's per month. How, how the body adapts. Wow. Uh, other things uh, is alcohol. Some people think that or say that they want to have like a nightcap, uh, having a glass of wine late in the evening to be a little bit, to doze off a little bit. But the thing is that that's actually what you do. You don't really sleep well. You're just kind of sedated. Uh, when you have alcohol in your in your system so uh, it's actually quite counterproductive so you might want to think about timing of of alcohol consumption and of course the amount too um we've touched upon it also when it comes to food the timing of meals uh, and also the composition of meals uh, if you have a heavy meal in in the evening of course, your your system will be heavily busy with uh, taking care of all that, so it can impact your sleep. Um, well, it'll essentially be fermenting. Yeah, exactly. It'll be fermenting in your in your belly. Yeah, and 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 as you mentioned earlier, also if you um, your system is not really made for taking care of that in the evening, so it might actually not be. Uh, benefiting from all the nutritions as uh, as good in the evening as you would if you do the main meal in the middle of the day. So that's something that you can also consider uh, as an experiment when it comes to the food pillar. Uh, but I think that's that's the main ones for food. All right. So moving on to movement, the movement pillar. A few experiments that could um, affect your sleep and your sleep quality. Um, obviously, the timing of movement. We spoke about this a little bit before. Uh, early on in the morning is a good idea or not to wait. So late afternoon, early evening is your best bet. Uh, intensity or type. Uh, in terms of intensity, if you're going to do something like a HIIT workout, you probably want to do that earlier. If you're going to be doing something like a stretch or a yoga, maybe you know, gentle yoga, that could be a little closer to the bedtime. That actually could be conducive to sleep near, near the bedtime, especially if you, you do it calmly and you, you know, focus and you're conscious of every, every breath that could actually help your sleep. And that's actually one of the things that for me, when I was hitting those nineties in my Ura ring, it's because I was going to bed after a 45 minute stretch check, uh, sec, sec, session, a stretch session. And uh, I would put on like this yoga music with like chanting, and I would just breathe and focus very, very intently on just my breath. So it was like a meditative, meditative stretch, stretch session. And it was, um, it was, it was like, wow, for my sleep, it was like fertilizer for my sleep. So that's just for me, you know, uh, mm -hmm. adequacy is important as well. If you're not getting any movement in your day, you might find that harder to sleep, you still have energy saved up. 
So unless you're expending that energy, you might, you know, catch yourself, you know, swinging your leg overnight or getting up or restless. So it's a good idea to get tired so that you earn your sleep, like you said. And finally, it's an interesting thing to consider to do your activities outdoors that, so that you're sort of, you know, ha- like stacking a bunch of good things. You're stacking the light. You're stacking outdoor movement. You're stacking the health of your eyes when you're outside. You're stacking the immune benefits of being outdoors and that kind of air. Um, and you're, you're stacking also the connection you can feel with nature when you're doing these things. So there's, it's an interesting, um, an interesting experiment to get your activity as much as possible outside in nature. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, moving on to the mind, um, then one of the obvious ones is, of course, meditation. As you mentioned, also with stretching or yoga, um, doing that in the evening can really calm calm your mind down. But even meditations done in the morning will have a positive effect on your sleep because overall it's more about um, balancing, balancing the nervous system so that the parasympathetic nervous system also gets a chance to to be a little bit act, more active than the sympathetic nervous system. And one of the things or types of meditation, you could call it, that I found really, really helpful uh, in periods where I might have difficulty sleeping is yoga nidra. It's kind of a deep resting relaxation thing that, uh, yeah, it's, if you haven't tried it, I highly recommend you to do it. Uh, there are many versions on different meditation apps and Sometimes they're even called yoga nidra for sleep. So maybe start with one of those if you want to uh, have improvements on your sleep from the mind pillar. Uh, writing down things that you're uh, grateful for, so a gratitude practice uh, before bedtime is also something that can really leave you in a state of calm and, and content mind um, going into to sleep. And then, of course, having a routine of winding down and prioritizing your sleep is, is something that is highly beneficial to uh, thinking about how you stimulate yourself with, with screens. Uh, it's recommended, we've already said it, that you maybe leave your screens out and even uh, turn them off one to two hours before you go to sleep. And then also that you don't look at your screen the first thing in the morning, uh, maybe leave it out for one or two hours also in the morning after you wake up, because otherwise your brain will want that dopamine first thing in the morning and it will get you to wake up earlier. <laughs> so also not, not only in the evening, but also in the morning, it might be good to have some kind of screen curfew. So those are examples of experiments that you could try for the mind pillar. Mm, nice. So finally, we have the community pillar and how some um, of these experiments can help with sleep. So we have um, bonding before bed. So I'm going to say bonding because you can do that alone or you can do it with someone else. Okay. <laughs> so the idea with bonding, <clears throat> bonding before bed, uh, like I said, with yourself or with another releases a certain, you know, cocktail of chemicals, a cocktail of hormones, which relaxes you. And as some of you may know, as you fall asleep. <laughs> so it could be something to try. Okay. Um, you can, it can be a conversation, even a conversation with someone else, right? A meaningful, high quality conversation can help with sleep. Then there's the idea of loneliness. So loneliness can have, you know, some um, anxiety associated with it. And I, I was hearing um, 
Vivek Murphy was talking about how, I mean, you see this everywhere, but how loneliness, true loneliness is equivalent to 15 cigarettes a day. So it could be in terms of your health and your, your mortality. So it could be something to consider that getting out there and making friends or connecting with the friends you already have could actually help with sleep, uh, being of service and volunteering. So there's an expression that says, if you're feeling helpless, help someone. Okay. So if you can have some of that calming effect of being of service to someone or helping people or volunteering and helping others in need, that could also have a calming effect on, on your nervous system or before bed or in general in your life. And then finally, nature, connecting with nature could help with sleep. And this could be, uh, like we mentioned before, being outdoors for activity, but it could also be ingesting certain plants or fungi or grounding in nature, just the effect of grounding, touching the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. can help with sleep and hugging, connecting uh, the trees, hugging with the trees or with others, but the trees as well, tree hugging also has been shown to have a, a nice anti-inflammatory effect and can also help you get to sleep. So these are some of the community experiments you can try for, mm-hmm. you know, with people who are willing to try them with you. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's a, a lot of experiments that you can try to improve your sleep or at least see, even if you think you're sleeping well already to see what impact it has on your sleep. Um, so after after implementing some of these things or one of these things at a time, if you're purely scientific about it, of course, it should be one at a time and then see if it has an impact. Do a re-evaluation of the sleep and ask you the, yourself the questions again. How is the sleep now? Do you notice any difference in your everyday life, for instance? And and write that down too in in, in, a, in a journal or something like that. Because the target with with doing all these things for your sleep should, of course, be that when you wake up in the morning, you shouldn't have need to have an alarm or snooze several times to to be able to wake up. You should feel energized and rested when you wake up in the morning and hopefully not having to use a stimulant like coffee the first thing in the morning in order to be uh, or staying awake at all uh so i guess that that's the target and and there's a lot of all additional experiments that you can do too so we have some examples here but then of course there's a lot of more resources that you can turn to as well if you're more interested in diving deeper into the topic so i think that that's it for our lesson right yeah a lot for for listening to our session about sleep and looking forward to seeing the outcome of the experiments. Thank you. Happy, happy sleeping. <laughs>